Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime podcast review that digs into true crime, pop culture, and this week, everything old is new again. We're doing a double review. First, Wondery teams up with the LA Times to recall the Golden State Killer case in Man in the Window. Then, 25 years after the crime of the century, we're confronting OJ with Kim Goldman, plus some spectacular true crime updates. Joining me to get that done and even more is my real life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist, the sexy voiced hunk I live with, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. I like how you're sitting up on a tall stool now. Is that to help you with your voice? Just like to deliver more like ardently? Yeah. Well, I think it helps with, you know, diaphragmatic breathing and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Right. I need I need all the help I can get. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and lady who ate a half tub of pimento cheese dip for dinner tonight, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Don't judge. It was really, really good. Um, hello. <laughs> it's okay. I think I had like two handfuls of hazelnut spread filled M&Ms for dinner tonight, so we're good. And finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right. Let's get through the promotional part of this podcast quickly, shall we? Okay. Uh, Tonight, we are going to be talking about the update that actually broke today as we're recording this in the Curtis Flowers case. But we're going to be talking more at length about it in our Patreon after show. So if you haven't yet joined our Patreon, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get our after show in which tonight we will dissect the ruling in the Curtis Flowers case. And also on Patreon right now is a new episode of Toby's Book Club podcast, a brand new episode of Married with Podcast in which Kevin makes his triumphant return. And maybe, I don't know about that. maybe just maybe, if not now, then in a day or so, a brand new episode of Leave It to Bricker featuring some special guests. Toby, what is the subject of this week's Deep Dive Book Club podcast? It is uh, The Journalist and the Murderer, which is our relationship. Janet Malcolm's sort of takedown of um, Fatal Vision by Joe McGinnis. Ah. It's really about, you know, the relationship between journalists and their subjects you know, it was something that I thought a lot about, uh, especially like right when we first began and we were talking about Serial and the relationship between Sarah and Adnan. Like I had this book in mind when we talked about it. So I mm-hmm. think I think it's a good discussion. Well, you can find all of that at patreon.com 
slash Partners in Crime Media, because yes, unlike other super smart podcasts that just make one podcast for their Patreon, we make four. That's right. I don't know if that makes us smart. No, I said unlike yeah. other smart podcasts that just oh, make okay. one. I got it. We make we are overachievers. We over deliver. For your six bucks a month, you get a lot. Yeah. You're gonna get a lot in the next Leave it to Bricker. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> oh. we, we already had a presidential candidate. I mean, that was a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm very excited um, about that. We're gonna have some Nashville fun for the next one. All right. Ah. Uh Kevin, I also have a note from you that I need to promote our appearance at the True Crime Podcast Festival in Chicago. See us on July thirteenth. One day only, and if you are on our Patreon, you can win tickets to see us there. Yeah, we're we're giving away tickets uh, so you can join us. It's going to be, well, it's all day. I think it starts at 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning. Come at 7. Who cares? You know, <laughs> Get there early. Uh, and run so far. There's also going to be a, a, a social mixer. That's right. Uh, later in the evening. And there's a ton of great podcasts that are there, uh, including us, and we're going to be doing a live show. And looks like, Lori, you got roped into a, a panel. I did get roped into a panel. Um, I think it was something about how listening to podcasts makes you lose your shit and uh, yeah. explode <laughs> on the Richter scale. I, they might have just created it just for me, so you should come check it out. Yeah, I got roped into playing a game at the evening event because Lisa, who was running the festival, saw how fucking competitive I am. She's yeah. like, I think you'd be really good at playing a game. And we will be playing at our live appearance another round of Crime, Crime Writers, Writers Against, against Humanity. <laughs> humanity. <laughs> I have to tell you guys very quickly, my mother-in-law, who finally figured out what the podcast was, listened to it for the first time in, what is it, five years (laughs) at our Nashville show. (laughs) And she says last weekend, I listened to your podcast, but the language was really horrible and I couldn't figure out how to turn it off. So I had to listen to the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) What's your mother-in-law's name? Barbara. I'm so fucking proud of Barbara for learning how to listen to a podcast. (laughs) I was proud of Barbara for figuring it out. I was slightly mortified that she listened to all of my swearing and Cards Against Humanity crime writer style. That's cool. Hey, Toby's mom listens every week, Laura. You should be really embarrassed. Yes. I've been been really fucking (laughs) proud of Toby's mom for a super long time. I know. It's weird, Mm -hmm. though. Like, when when I found out, like, my parents were listening, I was like, oh, my God. I can't. All the F-bombs I dropped. That's right. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm 12 all over again. Guys, language is arbitrary. It is an arbitrary construct. construct. Come yeah. on. <laughs> it is. It just is. It's what's inside my head all the time. It just comes out on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a safe space for my real inner monologue to come out. All right. Well, um, Kevin, we have a lot of this kind of thing. Should we go to Tom bring or you want to give again. it a shot? Yeah, no, keep, bring in Tom. All right, let's just drop in Tom and we're just going to do it once. We've got a bunch of them. Here you go. Tom. In our first true crime update this evening, it is a biggie. Some breaking news that came down just today. Kevin, would you like to fill us in on what's going on from the highest court in the land? Sure, on Friday morning, the U.S. Supreme Court released its decision in the Curtis Flower case. It was a 7-2 to two decision. Curtis Flower's case, of course, is the case at the center of In the Dark Season 2, the greatest true crime podcast in the history of podcasting. Yes, and the uh, justices found that uh, there was a Batson violation that the court erred in preventing the prosecutor from striking at least one black juror without cause. Uh, This is quoting uh, Justice uh, Kavanaugh, who wrote the decision for the majority. Hmm. The state's relentless, determined effort to rid the jury 
of black individuals strongly suggest that the state wanted to try Flowers before a jury with as few black jurors as possible, and ideally before an all-white jury. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of other great quotes. <laughs> a lot of people on Facebook are like, uh, I don't know how I feel about Kavanaugh. Should I be? <laughs> I, said, I, think, I think you can safely agree with his uh, yeah. decision here Listen. without endorsing his changing your personal beliefs Even about him. Even a broken him. clock is right once a day, right? Yeah. And as Madeline pointed out. <laughs> it, it makes me want to like have a beer, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. No, Kavanaugh's not the, a beer. Kavanaugh is in the perfect <laughs> position to talk about Batson. This is something that was sort of a pet project of his back in law school. So, yeah, And we remember from listening to the, or, the oral arguments about how engaged he was in this. He says, the state's pattern of factual and accurate statements that black prospective jurors suggests the state intended to keep black prospective jurors off the jury. Yeah. So there are only two dissenting opinions. One is Gorsuch and the other is um, Clarence Thomas. Of course. Uh, fucking Clarence Actually, Thomas. Alito was very, I mean, I was, I remember picking like Alito as maybe going with the majority and he wrote, as the court takes pains to know, this is a highly unusual case. Indeed, it is likely one of a kind. He said in his concurrence, which was very short, he probably would have voted for the state had it not been for some of the things in here. It would just been a routine uh, thing. Justice Thomas said that um, any competent prosecutor would have exercised the same strikes as the state did. In this trial. Oh, fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Save it for the after show, Lara. Save it. Right. I couldn't I couldn't contain myself. That's Carry right. I, 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 I will say the guy does love discrimination. I'm going to say it again. Right. Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> he said he writes the court's opinion might boost its self-esteem. They're basically referring in the collective to his his colleagues. He's calling them virtual signalers is what he's calling. Yeah, them. it might boost its self-esteem, but it also needlessly prolongs the suffering of four victims families. And he. This is the best one. He said, if the court's opinion today has a redeeming quality, it is this. The state is perfectly free to convict Curtis Flowers again. All right. Well, before we move on, we are going to talk about this at length in the after show. So everybody save your ire at Clarence Thomas and save your glee about the court's very right decision on this. I just want to make one plug, because one thing that I remember from the oral arguments is that it was the Mississippi Attorney General's office that was responsible for arguing this case in front of the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And that representative of the state was questioned at length about why Doug Evans was allowed to prosecute this again. As we know, Doug Evans is still the prosecutor of record in this case. And I would recommend that if anybody would like to reach out to the Mississippi Attorney General's office and encourage them to perhaps intervene and not allow Doug Evans to once again prosecute this case. For a seventh time. You can write to them. The current AG is Jim Hood, and the address of the Mississippi Attorney General's office is P.O. Box 220, Jackson, Mississippi, 39205. The phone number of the Mississippi yeah. Attorney General's office is 601 601- Three five nine three six eight zero. I'd like to thank our listener Stephanie for posting this on our Facebook group page. I think it's a great idea. If you don't believe that Doug Evans should be allowed to try this case again, perhaps contact that office at 601-359-3680. So uh, I know it's tough, guys. Toby, are you going to be okay to like save your thoughts on this and for the after show? I I just wrote them down. Okay, <laughs> all capital letters. Do they include the words? Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was my line. 
the only objectionable word is bullshit. Yeah. But yeah. we'll get to that. Sorry, Lara's mother-in-law. Sorry. All right. <laughs> so on to our next true crime podcast update. I'm going to mention this briefly. The NPR podcast, White Lies, that I believe I either gave a minor thumbs up to or minor thumbs down because I thought it was bland and not super well produced for what it could have been. Apparently, that podcast did make some strides. The last couple episodes have been amazing, and they did identify a heretofore unknown fourth attacker in that uh, murder that they're investigating oh. in the podcast. So that is worth looking at if anyone is following that story or stopped listening and wants to continue. Apparently, they did something big that is now going to be overshadowed by this Curtis <laughs> Flowers um, verdict, uh, which is great. So in our next true crime podcast update, like I said, we have several tonight, mm-hmm. was a verdict, Laura Bricker, in that big trial that was yes. connected to a podcast we reviewed called Uncover Escaping Nexium. Laura Bricker. What's happening in that case? So Keith Rainier, remember, he's the guy who had his initials branded on his followers, uh, the evil overlord of the cult Nexium. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He was found guilty of racketeering, sex trafficking and some other crimes this week. He's 58 years old. He was found guilty on all seven counts that he was on trial for, including racketeering, racketeering conspiracy, wire fraud conspiracy, forced labor conspiracy, sex trafficking, sex trafficking conspiracy and attempted sex trafficking. Is that it? Um, he maintains... Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> come on. He still maintains his innocence, and he plans to appeal. During the trial, he did not testify, and his attorney did not call any witnesses. He didn't really do anything when they read the verdict. He just sat there. And he will be sentenced on September 25th, so hmm. stay tuned. That's really exciting. S- stellar defense. Well, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't really know what you would do for a defense in that, but I think it's interesting that they prov- no witnesses, nothing. How about plead guilty? Well, you know, when it's- you're a cult leader, you know, you don't really, and you're a narcissist, you don't really accept responsibility. Uh, do you agree with that, Toby? That he's a narcissist? Or that a narcissist don't accept responsibility when they're called to task for their actions? Yeah, it is kind of weird that he did nothing because it seems as though, like, if nothing else, you can kind of throw out the, I didn't force them to do anything kind Mm, of thing. Like, they did this all of their free will because I'm so freaking awesome. I I haven't followed it, so I don't really know. A side note, and Kevin, I know how much you love it when I talk about the fact that I occasionally watch soap operas on our podcasts, but I do occasionally watch soap operas. What soap operas? There has been a Nexium-related storyline on General Hospital the last couple of months. Oh, my goodness. Wait, you're watching General Hospital? I watched, I tape, I don't watch them regularly at all, but I, I tape DVR. Uh, I always have five episodes in the stop, can. Stop backtracking. Just of each, General Hospital in. and The Young and the Restless. Lean in, lean in. And occasionally oh, I the watch The Young and the them. Restless. Isn't Sammy on The Young and the Restless? No, Sammy is on Days of Our Lives. Jesus Christ, oh, Laura Bricker. Right. <laughs> How about those adorable Luke and Laura people? That is General <laughs> That's Hospital. General Hospital. <laughs> I know and, that. General Hospital. And Laura. Welcome to the 70s, No, Toby. Laura is on General Hospital now. Wait, what? Jeannie Francis is on, it's a ton Jesus. of legacy characters that are on General Hospital now, including Jeannie Francis playing Laura. She is a character on the show right now. She's the mayor of Port Charles right now, guys. Wow. Anyway, wow. there was a Nexium storyline. She stepped into my life like a bad dream. <laughs> sort of playing Making the out. life that I had seemed suddenly shiny and new. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, Jeannie. <laughs> okay. I will always be your fool. Anyway, Sam 
McCall did like an undercover like play inside the Nexium cult on General Hospital in order to extricate her sister, Christina, from the cult. It was all very what? exciting. It all worked out. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, the guy's That's name exciting. was Shiloh, the cult leader on the show. But they were uh, branded, they was. had secrets. It was the whole thing. It was it's totally the weirdest tangent we've been on. It was a hundred percent Nexium. Wow. And I really enjoyed I, watching was, that storyline. The next time we get a question during a live show of what's the most surprising thing you've learned about your fellow podcasters. It's going to be that Rebecca watches General Hospital. And, and we wonder why Tilby like wanders off to watch sports <laughs> while we're recording. I'm not watching it right now. No, but it's like <laughs> he wants to talk about podcasts and all of a sudden it's Luke and Laura. Yeah. The Young and the Restless, I got to say, is my main jam. But I am an occasional uh, General Hospital. Young and the Restless? Yes. Is that with Asa Buchanan? No. Asa and Bo Buchanan? That was One Life to Live, which hasn't been on the air for oh. years. Oh. For fuck's oh. sakes. <laughs> hey. He was trying to. He was trying no, to represent. Young and the I'm, I'm trying to. Is the I'm, I'm song trying to I meet to you in your piano. in your sweet spot. <laughs> Young and the Restless is Victor Newman, aka the Mustache, aka mm. the dude who's lived in America forever but still has that stupid fucking accent. <laughs> <laughs> so the the only time I had I had mono when I was in seventh <laughs> oh, grade or great. something, and, and so I was just home like lying in bed yeah. back before cable. Uh-huh. So I did watch. That was the one time I watched. Soap operas. Really? Yeah. Wow. And one was, Life to Live was a good was one if you watched that one. That was really Bo good. Bo and Asa Buchanan is basically <laughs> all I remember. I will go on record <laughs> as saying I think the greatest soap opera in the history of my lifetime was As the World Turns, which I'm still not over the cancellation of. <laughs> and I'm so sorry, Ali Sweeney, if you're listening. You're probably not, but if you are, I have watched... <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kevin wants me to like beat out for it. Never mind. Never mind, Allie. Just I know I got I your back. I can't scream. I'm just... I got your back. I watched that one in college. The you days did? of our lives. You did? That was my college soap opera. Yep, every day. Yeah. Every day in the Sawyer Hall dormitory, we all watched Days of Our Lives. Yeah. It's not quite enough at the right time for me. I'm just saying the timing doesn't work, it work out. I know there are seven mm-hmm. executives at Wondery who are like sitting here like waiting <laughs> Nobody for us Wondery to cares. talk about their two podcasts. I've got another true crime podcast update. The people oh, at Wondery right. are doing Wait, fine. More. Okay, more. final true crime podcast update. Laura Brooke, I'm just going to drop in our friend Tom one more time. True crime podcast All right, go, Laura. What is our final update of the evening? That guy, uh, Chris Dawson, who used to play rugby in Australia. Uh, Chris Dawson, that guy from the Teacher's Podcast, formally pleaded not guilty um, this week to murdering his former wife, Lynette Dawson, more than 35 years ago. So she's the one who disappeared. Ironically, less than two hours after he pleaded not guilty to murdering his wife, he was actually charged with having carnal knowledge of a girl aged between 10 and 17 Uh while he was a teacher related to his sexual relationship with the girl who you remember like moved into his house yes right around the time that his wife uh, disappeared yes yeah so anyway so um not too much but but you know he's not guilty but um you know what things are catching up with chris dawson Good. down in australia cardinal knowledge no. it's such a puritanical cardinal way of, I know. I know. Of, of talking about sex it's sexual abuse is what it is yeah why not oh, call I, it anyway. i know I'm, I'm glad he's being charged with something in that regard yeah. is that was that was what bothered me about that podcast was that the podcast described it as an affair and i'm like that is not what mm-hmm. you fucking call that yeah. it is not no 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 all so. right Shall we get to our first review of the evening? Let's do it. All right. I'm on it. (laughs) I guess I'm ready. (laughs) We are doing two podcasts from Wondery tonight, two of the most popular podcasts in America. And the first is Man in the Window. About what time of the I would guess it was probably around two. Mm -hmm. But 
guessing it was it was quite late it wasn't midnight it was much later than that and what woke you tap on the window After achieving great success with their Dirty John collaboration, the L.A. Times and Wondery have paired up again, this time to tell the story of California's most infamous serial killer. Hosted by Paige St. John, Man in the Window charts the criminal evolution from the Cordova cat to the Golden State Killer. A phantom stalked California in the 70s and 80s, at first unnoticed, and then unstoppable. It was a heavy atmosphere, I remember that. Where there's a death, you'll always know it. This phantom collected many names. The Fasalia Ransacker, the original Night Stalker, the East Area Rapist, and then the Golden State Killer. He says, when you look at this, you can you can believe in the devil because he says, evil is out there among us. Evil is, uh, is stalking us all the time. Man in the Window promises new details from the 40-year investigation into this case. Will the Times and Wondery capture lightning again, or are they simply retreading a crime that has received significant coverage over the past couple of years? Note, defendant Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. is maintaining his innocence and has yet to go to trial. We are going to be talking about plot points from Man in the Window, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the time code listed in our show notes for our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. View. Now, I want to start where I started listening to this podcast. Toby, you and I both read I'll Be Gone in the Dark, the Michelle McNamara book, which was right. a thorough reporting of this case, including all of the crimes that happened and all the investigative twists and turns. Do you feel like this podcast, Man in the Window, is adding to that story at all? Not much. I guess there's a few sort of audio things you know, you can't do in a book. Like they had that recording of the guy saying he's going to kill, yep. like I'm going to kill you yep. or whatever. Yep. So, I, I mean, there's there's one or two things like that. But for the most part, I, I feel like the book kind of ruined this for me in mm. some ways. So not, I mean, the book was great. Don't get me wrong. But uh, it, did, it did make listening to this like... Things that may have been surprising to people just aren't be, if, you, if you've read the book and know the story. Right. Now, Kevin, you wrote me a note. You said this podcast is perfectly suitable, but there's no spark. What do you mean by that? Well, I, th- I think it's a good telling of the story, but I don't know if there's anything like really amazing here. Certainly, like, you know, I agree with Toby. If you've read the book, then this is ground that you already know well. That doesn't necessarily mean it's disqualifying for people because the market is big enough to handle multiple OJ things, for example. Uh, You know, we just looked at two different Ted Bundy things. But, you know, there's a lot of people who don't read books or um, listen to audio books, so they're not familiar with that material, and they're interested in the case. So it's kind of a hot property. It's told very competently, but is this going to go in the modern museum of great true crime art? Probably not. Lara, now you, I know, uh, sent me a note that's similar to how I feel about the show is that it is, mm-hmm. it, it feels like a list. Like we're just getting like very much like a list of what happened. Yeah. Yet there are a lot of really good sources in this reporting, don't you think? Yeah. So that's that's my sort of quandary with this podcast is you, we've got access to victims in the case, police investigators, lots of really interesting voices of people that were involved in this, being very forthright about their role in the case. And in some cases, you know, very honest about where the police messed up. My issue, you know, all that to me is lost. 
because I hate the narration style so much. Hmm. Um, and I don't know if you want me to go down that road, but it's just I feel like I was listening to like an audiobook version of a podcast. So the narration was very nice and everything was very modulated and very monotone. The deputy drives Phyllis to the local hospital. By dawn, a doctor and a nurse conduct a rape check. They do swab tests and check for physical trauma, but the only injuries they note are a superficial cut above her right eye and rope burns on her wrist. I didn't know what to listen to because I didn't know when I was supposed to listen to something that was more important or less important because it was so sort of monotonous the way that it was all put together. There was no personality put into it. You know, in the beginning, we're told this person's a journalist who's many awards. And I was like, I, I never would have known that. I thought it was like the audiobook reader that they hired for my audiobook. I mean, so I was very frustrated because I felt like we had a lot of access to good sources, but I felt like the style that the podcast had the host adopt really took away from that because they took all personality out of it. And um, I tuned out for half of it. You know, there's no cues as to what's more important than anything else. And that the, you know, the same sort of tone is used for describing like these horrible crimes. And then also like what Santa Barbara's like or something like that. And part of it, I think, is also the writing. You know, I think the writing, it's just like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and there was this. And I, I say that because, you know, after I, I, I sent you the notes, when I was driving home, I listened to the last, uh, the most recent episode, and there there was a moment that was different, and it wasn't in her delivery, it was just the writing, where suddenly you start talking about these, these like, surfer guys in California. The coastline north of Goleta was wild and undeveloped. Haskell's Beach is a special place, a large sandy cove held sacred by the Chumash Indians who buried their dead here. In the 1980s, it's the summer home to a group of tan surfers who claim the cove as their own. The Haskell's locals, or locos as they call themselves, sleep beneath driftwood lean-tos and boil crabs for dinner, spend their days chasing waves and smoking pot. And I was like, oh, what's this? You know, and it was like the first time that there'd been something that had like surprised me. So in some ways I was, you know, I hadn't really thought about it until I heard that part. But in some ways it was like, you know, maybe if it had been written a little more imaginatively, just in terms of the structure, so that you were like thrown off balance every once in a while. So it wasn't just a, and then this happened and this happened and this happened, but that you were, you were made to think every once in a while about like what's going on here. Like that, that might have been a way of mitigating. I, I mean, I don't, I, I hate to criticize her because she's a journalist and there's no reason why she would be like a good. She's a print journalist. Yeah, she's a print journalist. So there's, a, there's no re- reason why she should be a good host for something like this. And she's not like terrible, but she, but she's not, she doesn't have the voice for it or the inflection or whatever. Or the direction, perhaps. Yeah, I mean the production I think is, is like a is like a big kind of issue. And then everything's spliced together so closely. Mm. You know, it just goes from one like she stops talking, then it immediately goes to somebody else and there's just like no room to breathe. It's just sort of relentless. I, I don't think it's necessarily completely her her fault. I think there's other people who could have helped her, but it does make it a more sort of draining listen than it should be. Yeah, I have like two production problems with it. And I wanted to get into the bigger stuff first, but as long as we're talking about it Oh, we're talking about it. All right. 
Has anybody noticed that this entire script is written in the present tense? Yes. The detectives continue their sweep of the neighborhood. Across the street in the backyard of another house, they look beneath the foliage of a young tree. That's a really peculiar choice. Usually in broadcasting, we write in the present tense or the present perfect or past perfect tense. But it's more than just the tense. In radio, you're supposed to place the action in the present. It can be an example of a news story, right? You normally would not say, start a, a news story by saying, a fire ripped through an apartment building yesterday afternoon. You're supposed to, if you're a good writer, set it up like this. Six people are looking for a place to live this morning after a fire ruined their... Yeah. Right? Okay? It's the latest thing. Right. This is what's happening. It's hard to kind of put yourself in that space when you're talking about stuff from 70 years ago. But you're writing it like it's a today's story. And you're writing like it's today. Like it continues to happen. It's, It's just a really weird choice. The reason why it's hard to not compare this to I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is obviously it's about mm-hmm. the same story, so it's also hard to not compare. I remember I didn't listen to the audiobook of I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I read it on the page, and we were on vacation. And I remember, you remember the number of times I turned to you and I was like, this book is fucking terrifying? Yeah. Because she describes many of the exact same crimes and the exact same scenes we hear in this podcast. They should be scarier in this podcast because- and in this instance, in the podcast, she has some of the victims telling you what happened to them. You know, she yeah. has the woman who's um, talks about being attacked as a teenager lying in her bed, seeing a man standing in her bedroom and pulling the covers back over her head, hoping it was just a dream, which we can all relate to. That's yeah. all we. And yet there's something about it because of the way it's put together. Like it's not visceral. It should be, but it isn't. Michelle McNamara, in just a narrative of telling you what happened in the past tense, did it in such a way that even reading it on the page, like I was like, we need to get a security system for our house. We really yeah. like we do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was just the writing was just so strong in those scenes. And I again, I, I think it has something to do with the choices that were made in the direction of this. You, you know what this podcast sounds like? What? It sounds like the audio track of a TV documentary that they're making. Yeah, this is probably the yeah. most unwondery, wondery podcast. Yeah. Because we always talk about sort of the high production value and how lush they do it. Sometimes it's overdone. Too lush, yeah. I feel like it's underdone in this case. And here's like a weird production choice. This is the last thing I'll talk about production. There's this scene in episode one where they're talking about a criminal profile. The publicity from this incident brings a flood of tips. Easily another 100 suspects. None fit. The Vizalia detectives are at a dead end. And so they turn for help to a noted psychiatrist. He tells them their thief is a sexual voyeur with little interest in stealing. A man excited by the risk of trespassing in intimate spaces. And who very well may enjoy the danger. So, I mean, it's like, is this guy the Pink Panther? I mean, (laughs) like the music achieves like a really weird effect. It's just, it doesn't... it's a it's a weird choice. They're making weird choices your production wise. If you're gonna talk about a weird choice, I just can I can I just mention another one, which I know we're all gonna have thoughts about. Yeah. So when I worked on Bear Brook and when I've worked on other podcasts and like including Undisclosed, so there uh, a lot of the ads in these shows are digitally inserted. So the show is made and they put a marker in the audio file like the ad goes here. And then all the ad campaigns they sell for the show, they get read by the host separately and get dropped in. That's not how we do our ads on this show. On our show, we actually record our ads while we're doing the show. Obviously. Obviously. So there is a choice that is important to make, I think, when you're doing something like this, to leave some space for those ad transitions. Because 
Otherwise, it sounds like John David Booter. There is one in this show that is super egregious. And the knife was at my throat and it was pressing hard. Chris thinks if she coughs, the knife at her throat will pierce her. And at the same time, the man was telling me to shut up. He was going to kill me if I made a noise. And I remember thinking, Jesus, here I come. We love to romanticize the idea of individual achievement, but sometimes you just can't do things all on your own. I understand that, like, Simply Safe as a product is a good fit for this show. And I have no qualms about that. I've seen complaints about that. But whatever. Simply Safe knows its target market. Who the ads are is fine. It's they are not leaving enough space for them. And they just happen and they come at you in a way that is, like, bad. Okay, production is weird. Production is weird. And that's what took away from the whole podcast for me. But I, I agree with you. It did sound like a documentary on TV lifetime or something but also like an audiobook like it's like the way that it was narrated and written but the source material the story itself so good. is really yeah. good which is why That's... i can't completely pan this yeah because that is really compelling now toby you do agree though that the the story here that the gsk story gold state killer story it's terrifying right yeah i mean this is like the real the real version of like a horror movie because he pretty clearly is out there just to terrify people, you know, and he taunts the police by attacking people who live near them and he peeks in on people and he stashes stuff in their house before he attacks them. And it, I mean, it's just all, I mean, it's nuts, but it just, I, I, I kind of feel like that stuff, those details get kind of lost in this sort of, you know, monotonal telling of the story. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think there's a lot here. I think the podcast is promising something like we're going to find out why the police didn't solve it. And they just quite haven't quite gotten there yet. They've done a little bit of that territorial like department against department kind of thing. And maybe that's where it's going, but it's not there yet. Well, why don't we do what we do? That was a pretty brief review, but we're going to get more into confronting OJ in the next half of the show. Let's give Man in the Window the episodes that are out so far. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Do you plan on continuing to listen? And do you recommend it to our audience? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to say no. Um, So thumbs down. Thumbs down, Laura. It's not no. (laughs) Uh, No. Giving your mother-in-law knows how it works. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she didn't though because she couldn't turn us off um, I'm going to say thumbs down because there's plenty of other places where you can learn about this story at this point and for me there's a lot of good source material in this but the actual delivery was so distracting I had a hard time digesting the material what about you Toby Ball thumbs up or thumbs down review for Man in the Window the number one podcast in America as we record this from Wondery you know, this is this is when I would like to go to the thumb sideways again, because I've sort of do it. Uh, no I, one's telling kinda... you you can't. All right, thumb sideways. <laughs> <laughs> Next. <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, it, it's it's a little bit hard to tell like how I would feel about it if I hadn't read. I'll be gone in the dark. The production team didn't do her any favors, but the story is is genuinely nuts, and there's a lot of information there. You know, if you're interested enough, as apparently a lot of people are, and can get through the sort of weird style to it, the story is there. There's not a whole lot of other stories like it. Yeah, uh, that's kind of why I'm on the fence. I mean, I, I just kind of feel like it should have been better. 
I agree with you. And that's why I'm going thumbs down on the sliding scale of Wondery should be able to do better because they should. Um, this podcast has a lot of great material in it. I think the reporter is the right reporter to be doing it. Uh, L.A. Times reporter with a lot of experience reporting the case. This should be a super good and creepy and compelling podcast. And it should be bringing something new to this story. And maybe that's the plan for episodes six, seven and eight. But like it is a barrier to make the audience listen to this what they carried style list of everything that happened in a way that isn't dynamically produced for four plus episodes. So for that reason, I think it's competent. I don't think it's terrible. It's definitely not a thumbs down like something that's like the worst thing I ever heard would be. It's just thumbs down because considering it's the most popular podcast in America, it should be better. And I'm honestly getting a little tired of things that are not good being so popular. So I'm giving (laughs) it a thumbs down. What about you, Kevin? Well, I'm going to be a thumbs up. But just slightly up, I guess I'm, if I could steal from Toby, I'm more of a thumb sideways, but I'm going to commit to doing one or the other. Some thumbs up, but it's uh, it's because that, you know, the story is interesting enough that you do want to listen. You want to learn more about it, even though it isn't presented in the best way. I mean, I feel like Wondery, who usually has a very sort of heavy hand in the production value, seems to have backed way off on this one and I think it could have done with a couple of different production changes that we talked about earlier but all in all Golden State Killer Case is interesting enough to to listen to and they do have some you know some good perspectives here so I'm a thumbs up it's definitely uh, you know a scary kind of story you can only imagine what it would be like to wake up in the middle of the night to find somebody looking in your window. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. All right, moving on. Another Wondery podcast also sits way up there on the charts. Confronting O.J. Simpson is hosted by Kim Goldman, sister of murder victim Ron Goldman. This series revisits some of the primary and peripheral figures of the crime of the century. Dear Mr. Simpson. Hello. It's me, Kim, Ron Goldman's sister. I'm sure it's really weird to be getting a letter from me, but for years, I've listened to what everybody else has to say about you. The lawyers, the media but never from you. I'm wondering if you would sit down and talk to me. 
I just want to understand whatever can be understood. Rather than a cathartic list of grievances one might expect from a victim's relative, Goldman provides both soft-touch interviews and a moving self-journey on the course of and the consequences from the trial of the century. For a case that has been chronicled from every conceivable angle, Goldman manages to do something I know that I thought was going to be impossible, bring the audience something new. We are going to be talking about plot points for confronting O.J. Simpson, so to remain spoiler-free, go to the time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. Now, guys, I questioned when I first heard we were reviewing this podcast whether we needed it at all, and then I was surprised as I listened to actually be learning something and hearing something kind of new. Kevin, what do you think? Yeah, that was my first thought when I saw an O.J. podcast. Uh, like, oh, well, I mean, what are we really going to get out of this? And I was, you know, for the first five minutes of the podcast, I thought, okay, this is going to be really bad. And then it got really interesting. And the more of Kim Goldman that we get, I feel like the better it gets. It does give us, you know, along the way, we are learning like, you know, some investigative tidbits about, well, the police had a similar knife and, you know, different things like that in the end i mean it's all it's all moot because obviously the trial's over and it wouldn't have mattered then anyway i mean if the jury's not going to believe the dna evidence they're not going to believe you know oh i you know i saw him at the stop sign you know that 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 isn't going to work it does bring new stuff and it does make me feel like i want to keep listening Toby, what did you think about the arc of this did you also have doubts at the beginning and then change your mind or did you have a different kind of journey yeah, I mean, I I really didn't want to listen to it. And then... <laughs> Were you like, oh, another thing I have to listen to for this stupid it's podcast? Something. Yeah, I was like, okay, yeah. this is this is why this is why I get paid to do this. Um, <laughs> and to be quite honest, I did not like the first episode. Me neither. At all. Makes you feel better, and, me neither. Like, starting with the second episode, I've got my issues with it, but it did, it did suddenly, it was like, oh, okay, like this, like now I can see why this is being made. And why people would be interested in it beyond just like OJ obsession. It made a major recovery for me. And and so I went through the whole range, I would say. Hmm. Now, Laura, you I sent me a note that you liked the first episode more. And I will say, Ron Goldman is sort of the lost character in the OJ Simpson mm-hmm. murder story. Yeah. What did yep. you think learning, just learning more about Ron and his relationship with Kim and that setup, you would seem to like it more than we did in terms of just like, than Toby and I, I know Kevin liked it too, Yeah. in terms of the setup. Talk about that. Yeah, I did like that because I felt like, you know, first of all, once I started listening to Kim as a narrator, you know, she's obviously the right person, you know, to tell this story, but she's not over the top in the way that she's telling the story. And... I, I really didn't know anything about her relationship with her brother. Other You know, I assumed, you know, when you see people on TV, you're like concerned, you know, family that's been affected by a crime. But listening to how his friends were interviewed and they were talking about going to get his tattoo, but how he always wanted his sister there and, and that no matter what they were doing with their friends, Kim was always included. And so you really, I think, came away from that understanding how close they were which for me sort of set up the rest of the podcast in in terms of, you know, this is something that, yes, it's a podcast, but at the same time, it's it's sort of a personal journey for her to 
kind of come to terms with a lot of the people that were involved in the case now that there's some distance. One of the notes you sent me, Laura, that I thought was interesting was about Nancy Glass, who does the podcast with Kim. Nancy Glass, former TV reporter. Yeah. I think it was, in some ways, a smart decision to include a character like Nancy Glass to debrief Kim. Now, obviously, Kim, we only played just a couple of clips of the Bronco chase, but it went on and on. 95 million people were watching. I mean, people were so enthralled by the bizarre nature of what was happening. Domino's sold a record number of pizzas during the case because— They didn't want to miss a moment. I didn't know that. That's a fun fact. Um, Another fun fact is I didn't pee for the entire time that the Bronco chase was going on because I— like. That's not a fun fact for you, is it? It was not a fun fact. I'm guessing that whoever is sort of like the—and maybe Kim herself thought that that role was necessary— perhaps without realizing just how good Kim would actually be at this. What do you think, Kevin? I think that Nancy Glass is the weak link— in this, I think she does a great job sitting with Kim and unpacking those different things, kind of interviewing Kim. She's really good there. But then she comes in as sort of as, a, as this interstitial narrator. What happened next brought the country to a standstill. This was the beginning of a national obsession. And like the way she does it, I mean, she is like Cicely Strong's impression of, of Judge Janine. Judge Janine Pirro, and it's up to you to decide just what my whole deal is. <laughs> She's like, and then OJ came and got a bag. And it was just like, and they're like, that's really bad. <laughs> I don't know how you own this company. It's a TV but voice. Yeah. Not translated for radio. It just, it's a very different thing from the rest of it. Kim is so likable and compelling. You know, we know her as a crime victim. And I think that the families of victims are also victims, so I'm going to use that terminology with her. She's a victim, and so she engenders a lot of sympathy from these detectives and witnesses and prosecutors. I think a lot of them come to her kind of feeling like they need to share something. They owe her some emotional support closure. I think time has made them all more reflective, and I think it's a good mix. And again, I'm really surprised because this— would be really easy to be self-indulgent and just, you know, bad. I guess the the one place where I, I, I kind of disagree with you, Kevin, is that where you said that they, you know, after all this time to be reflective, I kind of felt like, and this is one of my frustrations with, with the show, is that you, you had 25 years to kind of figure out how to spin your involvement in it so that it, none of this was your fault or there were, there were situations which led to things not going right. And I felt like that's what we were getting from them. Uh Um, So it seemed to me, especially with Marsha Clark. Marsha, the police didn't even send someone out to break the news to my father in person. The LA coroner called us to tell us about Ron's death. Yeah, that was pretty crappy. We always wondered why no one ever showed up at our house. That's a good question. I mean, really, I don't know. I can imagine somebody saying, somebody had better call them because the press is going to pick this up any second. Yeah, but somebody managed to get to the Browns' house. With the others, too, I mean, everybody's trying to put their best face on it. You don't hear anybody really, except for that woman whose name I'm not going to remember, where she, like, yeah, where she's like, I thought I was worried you guys were going to be mad at me and stuff, which I I kind of felt, you know, it seemed a little bit manipulative in a way because you know the only thing to say there is like oh no 
no, honey, you know, that's not, don't worry about it. But, but nobody was really, there wasn't a whole lot of like, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that. It's all, well, this was going on and that was going on and this person did this and that person did that. And that, that was kind of my, my takeaway from all that. One of my favorite things about this podcast, though, is that, you know, one of her first big sources is the detective, right? Mm-hmm. And he basically says, like, I hate Mark Furman, but he didn't plan evidence. And then the guy, like, fucking hates Marsha Clark. And then Kim talks to Marsha Clark. And then, like, she's she kind of like confronts her about, like, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? And, like, she lets Marsha Clark make the excuses. And, you know, maybe in the moment it doesn't feel like right for her to be, like, really pushing. She just sort of, like, takes it in the conversation. And she talks to Marsha Clark about those things before we hear those accusations, which was weird. Yeah, but no, no, she talks to her after we hear from that one cop who says he didn't like Marsha yeah, Clark. Yeah, but the, but, the, but the thing about the witness saying you blew my case. Right. She makes her defend that before we even hear that. So. Right, but then we also hear it, and then she also talks to that witness about it. Yeah. Like, she, we hear people talking about other people, and we kind of think, like, uh, when I was first listening to this, I was like, oh, the main source is going to be the cop, and then, like... I guess this podcast is going to be kind of like anti-Marsha Clark. And then we hear Marsha Clark. And then it was like Marsha Clark's talking about Shively and like what a liar she was or whatever. And then the next episode, we hear from Shively. And I'm like, she talks to fucking Kato Kalin for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I loved Kato's scene. Tell me about Why did you love that scene, Laura? <laughs> I just loved it because it was like he's at like the club and he's he's still like the same guy, even though he's what was, you know, that many years older. But he's still he responded immediately to her Facebook of message asking to meet. What the fuck and else he's does so he happy. <laughs> Listen, he's got a busy life, apparently, at the club. Yeah. Oh, here he is. Hey. Hi. Oh, my God. Hi. Hi. I'm great. How are you? This is the best place in the world. It's beautiful. You feel like you're at a resort? Yeah. You look the so same. So to see. Oh, my God. Thanks. You're like a household, like a one name, like a share, Bjork, you know, I mean. Bjork, yes. Bjork, yeah. I tell people, if it's Harpo, Ringo, I only hang out with people in no. With an O. That's true, Kimo. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't work for me. <laughs> I just thought it was so, like, listening to it, um, the way that she described leading up to the meeting with Cato and then describing the meeting with Cato and then actually hearing from him. That one was one where, like, I have that visual mind. I could just imagine the whole thing. And it was great. Yeah. You know, who is also uh, also a character in this podcast is Fred, somebody we've mostly known from both seeing him at the trial and then also all the TV interviews we saw him do. We get a more fleshed out picture of, like, her relationship with Fred and that amazing scene of them digging around her garage for old photos. Yeah. Can I open it? Okay. Walk this way. Sorry for my mess and for the stink. My kid forgot to take the garbage out. My grandson wouldn't forget. Oh, he forgot. That's why it stinks in Uh. here. Okay, so I don't want you lifting anything. All right, so I'm going to get some of the pictures, Dad. Some of these. God, look at this. Graduation. It's Ron's graduation. Eighth grade graduation. Eighth grade. Oh my God! Look uh-huh. how cute he looks. Okay, but look at his afro. Yeah, I'm looking at that. You permed his hair. I permed it. Joan, your second wife, she she permed all of us. I welled up a couple of times. I'll admit, in episode one, between his buddies, the girl that he was in love with but wasn't in love with him, and and of course the dad. I thought it was an emotional high point. Yeah, I mean, I when, when I say I didn't love episode one, what I, what I think what I mean to say is that 
it was very clear, like, put, like they, they wanted to do sort of honor th- to the victim, right? So, like, this is something that is a complaint in a lot of true crime stories that the uh, victim doesn't get enough time. And they really, you know, wanted to cover, like, a lot of their bases there. And I appreciate all of that. I felt like the way it was cut together between sort of these warm scenes and the autopsy stuff was a little heavy-handed for me. Autopsy report. There is a picture-type tattoo on the lateral aspect of the left upper arm. There are no deformities, old surgical scars, or amputations. The clothes were examined both before and after removal from the body. The decedent was wearing a long-sleeve type of shirt-slash-sweater. Whereas the episodes after that felt just more organic and free-flowing to me. Like, Mm -hmm. just let Kim be Kim. Like, put her in a room with someone and talk and see what happens. Which felt fresh and new. And, like, I could never have imagined there'd be a new angle on this case. But, like... She's the one bringing it. Laura, I have a question for you. Yes. One of my favorite moments in the podcast is when uh, we're listening to the tape of the guy giving the OJ tours. Oh, I hate that guy. Yeah. Who's the most famous L.A. Dodger? OJ Simpson. And finally, what did Ron Goldman say to Nicole when he got to heaven? Here's your fucking sunglasses. Fucking asshole. Which <laughs> is just like one of the great moments of the podcast. Yeah. What did you what do you think of the like those scenes where, where Kim is basically like directly confronting kind of like the industry around her brother's murder? Good for her. Um, you know, I was listening to it and I'm like, you know, there's a way to tastefully do sort of like a murder tour or something, and there's a way to be a total asshole and tell totally awful insensitive jokes. Fuck you. I really appreciated that she was doing it, but she wasn't like, I would have been much more like fired up about it than she was. She just kind of laid it out there, but she confronted the situation in the same way. And good for her. What do you think of that scene, Toby, about that whole OJ tour and, and how they included that tape on the show? I mean, clearly it wasn't Kim sitting on that bus. Right. It was on a Bronco. Yeah. It was on a bus. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Oh, God, it's even worse. Um <laughs> You know, I think what it does is it sort of makes the point that, you know, everything that you're hearing about Ron and and all this stuff, you know, is a corrective to, you know, what the culture is made of it now, which is that it's like almost kind of a campy thing at this point that people joke about and stuff. And that, you know, it's almost like it didn't really happen to real people. And there was a whole thing, you know, when OJ... I guess, got out and got on Twitter and it was like getting all these followers and stuff. And again, it's like, it's kind of messed up. He, he's a murderer. Yep. You know, why would you, or, you know, I guess alleged since he was found not guilty. No, there's I, a civil I, case that, that says that he did in fact do it. So he yeah. actually was uh, convicted in a civil civil court of committing these murders. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it kind of brings home like the, when they were talking about attitudes towards the case and, and towards Ron and stuff. And it, it kind of is sort of exhibit A, B and C of, of that from right now. You know, but there's like one I'll, I'll dink him on one thing. And it's the very beginning of episode three. And she says something without like any sense of self-reflection the oh, quote yeah. is about people making money off of your brother's murder. And like maybe with a yeah. podcast or, right. you know, hey, Kim, uh, you did write three It's books. her story, though. It's her right. story to tell. Right. I know. Hey, oh, right. no, I, I completely I, wait, disagree wait, with you. Wait, I'm not disagreeing with her ability to want to do that. I'm just saying I found it a little odd. You know, it's kind of black kettle-ish, you know. It's, 
That's all I'm saying. No, I know that. But yeah. also, I don't think, I, I, I like to think that that's not the, the purpose of this. I mean, maybe it is. Who knows? I don't care because I really fucking like her in this podcast. I just do. Oh, I do too. I don't know. I just think that she's kind of a natural. Yeah. And if anybody can tell the story and bring something new to it, this is a perspective we haven't heard. Like, you know, if one of OJ's kids who were tiny at the time did a podcast, that would be really weird. But Kim is the sister of a victim who was an adult when he died. And like, he is kind of the forgotten victim in the case. And honestly, I'm learning stuff about the case I didn't know. And I thought I knew everything yeah. about it before. But she's also like a regular person. Yes. You know, she's, I mean, Marsha Clark is a celebrity. Out the garbage. Kato Kalin is a celebrity, right? Mm. She's just, people know her name, but her life is not filled with what do you think of Cato? I'm just curious oh Cato's he's exactly what I thought he would be <laughs> uh, Toby, yeah. Toby what did you think of Cato? I love him what oh my god Toby that makes my I, night I just like I vaguely remember him from before and just like I think people were calling him like a mimbo or yeah. something but I, I assume he's dined out on this for 25 years like he t- talks about like I came I wanted to LA to be famous yeah and this is how it happened, and it wasn't the way I wanted it to happen. Right. But at the same time, it did make him famous. What I like about Cato, though, is he doesn't pretend otherwise. He's not saying, but he's not talking about anything else that he's doing. He was so excited to do this. It's, it's just like, being Cato. What you see is what you get, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he seems kind of like segue. the Kramer of this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's give our thumbs up or thumbs down review to Confronting O.J. Simpson, another Hit podcast from podcast juggernaut, Wondery, Lara Bricker. I'm going to start with you. Thumbs up or thumbs down for confronting colon OJ Simpson. I'm going to go with thumbs up because I like Kim as a narrator. I love that we actually hear from everybody involved in the case. And and she kind of calls people out on their bullshit, but in a very nice way. And they all seem to still be friends after she calls them out on their (laughs) bullshit. Um, And I wish I could develop that skill because I just let people have it with both guns blaring. So... Um, good for you, Kim. So I would say take a listen. What about you, Toby? Thumbs up or thumbs down for confronting Colin O.J. Simpson from Wondery? You know, I guess I'm a thumbs up. I'm not like a huge thumbs up. It's interesting hearing Laura say that she calls him on their bullshit because like I don't really expect her to like get belligerent with Marsha Clark during an interview or whatever. You know, when she was talking about the difference between Marsha Clark and then Shively and their stories and stuff. And she's like, well, the truth is probably in the middle. And I kind of felt like, look, I, there, there is really no middle in this situation. Either she's a liar or she's not. You know, either Marsha Clark talked to a bunch of people and they're like, well, she's a known liar. And you don't want to have her on the stand. Or that's not actually the case. Mm. I, I, it just didn't seem like there's a middle. So it seemed like I just I kind of given the sort of emotional stakes that there are. And the fact that she, you know, this is sort of supposed to be cathartic for her. But at times I'm like, well, what do you think about this? You you walk away, like, is do you do you feel like this person is being straight with you? Especially Marsha Clark, who I kind of felt was shading a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like I, I don't know, I don't know all the details of the OJ case. I did not follow it that closely. She just came across, I thought, as I've talked about this endlessly. I've thought about this endlessly. This is sort of the best face I can put on my story. And here it is. I was kind of expecting her to be like really frustrated that, you know, that, that Marsha Clark doesn't have 
sort of the openness and honesty to to talk to me about the mistakes. You know, why why did you kind of drop off the face of the earth? Why why didn't you communicate? It's like, well, I had kids and I was going to interview all these people or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's an excuse. I mean, that's not really a reason. But overall, I, it was, like I said, I was kind of dreading it. The first episode I didn't like, but then after that, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting in a way that I was not expecting. I'm also a thumbs up for all the same reasons. And I actually liked the Marsha Clark section because I think that her character in particular in the fictionalized version of this we saw on TV a couple of years ago, like she was the hero, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the documentary, she was also kind of the hero, but a little bit more mixed and, and complicated. And by the way, she was also cast as the villain in the in real time, which was not fair and not fucking cool. Uh, but she has also become like a, a media figure now. And I think that they really did a good job of showing that in the podcast without telling you what to feel. And that's what I really like about this podcast. It's very rare that you get a situation where you have a person's perspective who's doing the interviewing, who's doing the conversations, who's telling the story that is basically just through the lens of how they feel and how they've been affected actually just talking to people they didn't expect to talk to. I don't know. It's very fresh to me. And Kim Goldman, man, she's a fucking natural at this. She's so good at it. And I'm really enjoying it because of her, just because of her, because of who she is. And, you know, I would listen to her talk about this because it's a brand new perspective on a case I do know very, very well. So thumbs up for me for confronting Colin O.J. Simpson. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, I'm also a thumbs up. I did not think that there would be anything worth listening to here. I think because we've gone over this so many times. But Kim does something that I really did think was not possible, which was to make this interesting again. We're not talking about forensics and legal tactics here. This is mostly about emotions and people's feelings and how these these things affected them these many years on. And this is Kim's story. It's her journey of self-discovery. You know, the production value is such a, you know, all of her interstitial stuff, you know, being in the car and talking with dad, not just the sit-down interviews, but all that I think is really good. Can I just ask you one question? Have you heard in the credits, like, how many people worked on this podcast? Like, there's a lot. It's a big team. It sounds like they really invested the right resources into making this podcast in a way that we've been criticizing about other recent podcasts we've reviewed. That really stuck out to me. I didn't interrupt your review. I know. I just it was, it was a point I wanted to make that I, I mean, forgot not, to make. It's really not fair, guys. Sorry, right? sorry. I'm here with my injured larynx, and I'm I'm sorry expending like the last of my energy. <laughs> But what do you think of the podcast, Kevin? God damn it, Rebecca. Thumb. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called Needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. 
Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Up. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. It was a cat astrophe for a politician uh-huh. from Pakistan holding a press conference this week. The briefing from one of the country's regional ministers was being live streamed on Facebook, but the social media team made a goof. The video ran with a cat filter on the man's face. <laughs> I haven't read this yet. This is funny. In case you don't know what that is, a video app digitally adds a cat's nose, whiskers, and ears to the person's head and even moves with them as they look around. In a statement, the political party blamed human error for the cat filter being left on. The minister took the mistake in good humor, but live streaming his next press conference may have given him pause. Wow. Nicely done, Kevin. So, panel, the internet is a dangerous world. What other social media fiasco may befall this politician? Laura Bricker, what do you think? I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say this was not a crime of the week. Uh, We all need more cat filter in our lives. (laughs) (laughs) This is how I'm going to appear from here on out. So just get ready. (laughs) What about you, Toby? What other social media fiasco may befall this politician? He's going to get (laughs) rickrolled. Kevin, what do you think? What other social media pitfall may befall this politician? He's going to be accidentally typing in all caps. <laughs> I can't believe nobody thought of Kafefe. All right, we should probably end it on that note before we do. Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Yes, we do. This is one of my favorites. So Davina Finmore sent us this fantastic photo of her Maine Coon cat, Maybe. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. She sent Maybe to the vet to clip her a knot out when she took her in for a, another procedure and maybe returned with a mohawk and a dust stare kind of looks like something in stranger things that's nice. all i'm gonna say nice so um and then i would just like to also give a little shout out to one of our listeners nadine taylor who recently got a new little kitten that was helping her through a tough period in life with depression and the little kitten has really turned her, you know things around for her good for you nadine so, nadine put on the cat filter that's right And also good for you, Nadine, for just like being open about your mental health challenges. We've all been there and we are all there for you. I know that for me, when I'm feeling down, all I want to do is hug my damn dog. So I get it, Nadine. I get it. Yes. Laura Bricker, people want to send to you their suggestions for cat or dog or iguana or emu of the week. How can they reach you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And uh, maybe I'll tell you about the time the emu accidentally got strangled in one of my territories. Oh, Jesus. Toby Ball, people want to reach out to you and say, it's okay. Everyone needs to watch sports in real time. How can they find you on Twitter? (laughs) 
Uh, they can always tweet me that at TweeballNH. And Kevin Flynn, how can people reach you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you strenuously to join our amazing community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. You can find that by just searching for us on Facebook. Go to our regular boring Facebook page and then click the button to join the group. Support the show on Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media, and you'll get the after show on which we talk about crappy Doug Evans and crappy Clarence Thomas mm-hmm. right now. You'll also get a brand new Mary with podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, and Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where Kato Kalin had been living rent-free for the past six months. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Sorry, Madeline Barron is DMing me. Sorry. Stand by. <gasps> oh, okay. Hold oh. on. I'm going to have a drink to that. Yes. Madeline Barron, my hero. My foot hurts from where you dropped that name. <laughs> she says she's working on the new episode right now. I keep hitting refresh. The hell, Madeline. And it's been interesting to see everyone's reactions, and it's been a big day. Are you guys jealous <laughs> that I'm actually personally friends with Madeline Barron? Because I am, you know. Why is she stopping to DM you? <sighs> We're tight. Wow. Tell her to get her little butt back in the studio and keep recording. <laughs> no kidding. To hell. Take a lesson from Jason and Taylor and stay the up boys. to That's yeah. all I'm saying. They need the, the boys. boys. The boys. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.